Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Research at the National Archives and Beyond Blog Talk Radio. This is your host, Bernice Alexander Bennett, and joining me today is Adrian Fikes for a conversation about reframing narratives of enslaver research. Now, today, March 25th, is the International Day of Remembrance of the victims of slavery and the slave trade. And when we think about this, I want to just start off with something from Adrian. Difficult truths about slavery, racial injustice, and other harm bring up a variety of emotions and challenges for genealogy researchers and families. Adrian Fikes want us to reframe the narrative about the descendants of enslaved persons and enslavers gathering together to heal. This shift in perspective allows us to stand firm in our deepest truth, have consistent access to unspeakable joy, and develop the deep roots and bubble wrap we need to stay in this principled struggle to understand each other while addressing the structural issues continuing these wrongs. Adrian Fikes created the 16th Great Challenge, encouraging other Gen Xers and younger to learn the names of their 16 great-great-grandparents or understand why they can't. She serves on the International Coaching Federation Metro D.C. Board, launching its Racial Justice Community of Practice. And she has been deeply involved in advocating for restorative justice within Alexandria's Equal Justice Initiative Community Remembrance Project and is the co-founder of Racial Justice Alexandria. Adrian is a member of the James Dent Walker DC chapter of the Afro American Historical and Genealogical Society. So let me just give a warm welcome to Adrian Fikes to the show. Welcome, Adrian. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. 
Well, I want to just start off with with the question. Since you have provided me with a narrative about difficult truths about slavery, why should people be willing to face these difficult truths? Wow, that's 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 a question. That's a great question. Um, the difficult truths are can be very painful and very difficult and and very hard for you to face. And a lot of times when I talk to people who have interest in who they are, the thing that is keeping them from actually digging deep is the understanding that they're, particularly people who descend from um, people who were enslaved or think they descend from people who are enslaved. Um, Being black in America, being an African-American person, there is likely to be some racial injustice, some harm, some, you know, level of um, marginalization and oppression in our family history. And because it's structural, oftentimes it happened and there was no redress. It's kind of like, we can't do anything about that, let's move on. And so people, you know, even when we go back and we ask our, you know, older relatives and our elders about what happened, many times they don't want to revisit it because it was so painful and the injustice is still fresh or they don't see any reason to bring it back up because they say there's nothing that can be done about it. And I encourage people to continue um, researching what happened, finding out the truth, telling the stories, because on the other side of that pain, there is healing. There is understanding. You know, my research has allowed me to understand not only myself, but to see my family in a more whole and complete way. Is this something within your family or you have discovered with others that they have been able to have that dialogue within their families about enslavement? Well, and it's it, it depends. Um, many times because we didn't have access to the records, you know, our elders didn't want to talk about what happened, our voices were not heard in, in some places outside of maybe some um, black publications or newsletters, the history could be lost to us or we could think that it is lost to us. And so many times it's not just particularly, you know, I, I like to talk about the whole evolution of racial injustice in this community, but today we're talking specifically about um, the period of uh, chattel slavery. And many times those generations are, are two, three, four generations away from us, but their stories have been lost um, to us. They are unknown to us. And so we don't know where to find that information. We don't know how to uncover it. The, you know, I, oftentimes you hear about an elder that tells a story that people dismiss because it sounds outrageous or it sounds unbelievable or it sounds so horrible. Nobody really wants to wrestle with what it means. And I, I, it's, it's time for us to begin investigating. That's that's part of the reason why I, you know, have joined OGS and I am continuing to build my research skills so that I can not only find this reliable information, but I understand exactly where to look for it. 
But, you know, I just heard you say, you know, some some folks didn't just have access to that information, but it also sounded like there was a dismissive uh, attitude that occurred when the story was told, that either people didn't believe the story or they didn't, it, it wasn't passed on. So it's almost like where do you begin and why wasn't why wasn't the story believed or passed on so that at one point in someone's life they could at least say this is what I heard this is what maybe I was told maybe there's some truth to this. Mm-hmm. Well, sometimes it's because it's so terrible. Like we're talking about mental and physical and psychological torture and pain without, mm-hmm. you know, and, and this pain being treated as if it was normal. And, you know, you think about um, there was a psychologist that proposed the idea in the mid-1800s that African uh, people who were enslaved who wanted to be free were suffering from a mental illness. And mm-hmm. so there's all this gaslighting. It's so structural that we're hearing from our institutions and, and our, our organizations and the people that were in positions of power that this was okay. It was never okay. You know, there were, and people talk about, oh, this was just of that time. There's never been a period in history where this was happening where there were not people pointing out that it was wrong where there were not people actively resisting it. But, you know, they say the the victor writes the history. And so the narratives have been told by the people in the positions of power. And so oftentimes we have internalized that anti-blackness, we have internalized this racism that then sends us into a place where we are unwilling to believe it, we are unwilling to face it, and if someone tells us about it, we we go into a space of denial and defense instead of really wrestling with the horrors of these stories. So let's let's look at it from another perspective. So how would you respond to those who will say, "Well, I'm not responsible for what my ancestors have done." Hmm. Um, you know, and I, I've been hearing that a lot lately, and I I. I would challenge that. Um, what I would say is we've got to stop talking about slavery in the past tense. We've got to stop pretending. We've got to stop suggesting that this was something that happened then because it is continuing to happen. The harm evolved into the way that we are interacting with each other now. And so that you may be able to say, I'm not responsible for what my ancestors did. You may be able to say, you know, my family never owned slaves. But structurally, there are institutions that, you know, that have made sure that you have benefited from what your ancestors did, that you have benefited from the institution that, that favored you over other people. And so you may, you may not be to blame for what happened, but the very moment you uncover this harm, you're responsible for what you do with this information. And one of my challenges, one of the things that I'm wrestling with is 
as I dig into my own family research, as I, you know, in, engage in this community of, of genealogists and family historians, what I'm uncovering is there are archives, there are libraries, there are families, there are institutions, there are organizations who have been sitting on this information for generations. And the new generation comes along and they hear this information and they also choose not to do something about it or they're encouraged by their elders not to do something about it. And it's time for us to bring the truth forward and it's time for us to find out ways to pull this information out of the records, give people the access that they need so that the truth can be told. And what I would say to people who say, I'm not responsible, as soon as you uncover the truth, what you do with it is your responsibility. So if nothing else, you can't undo that harm, but if nothing else, you can begin dedicating the rest of your life to not only uncovering and bringing visibility to the truth, but beginning at that conversation about how do we, how do we address this harm. And how do you propose that they bring this truth to life? Well, you know, I, from my understanding, um, there has been many conversations, and, and what I have been told is, um, like, uh, Sharon, Sharon Lewis has been encouraging people to digitize the records, and she's been working for years through Our Black Ancestry and the other work that she's been doing to encourage people to make these records available, bring it to light. You know, the first thing we need to do is uncover the truth and bring it to light. Um, the second thing we need to do is begin um, engaging with what is being, what is being, what is there in, as the truth and begin wrestling with what does this mean? Um, and we can't do that if we don't understand the evolution of this harm. If, if you descend from the woman who enslaved my great-great-grandfather and you don't understand how that, that interaction has benefited your life and the evolution through the generations of, of what you've had, what you've had access to, what your outcomes looked like, and how they were different from mine – then you're not equipped to sit down and have a conversation with me about current circumstances or even past circumstances. And so, you know, it, there, is, there is some education. There's a lot of education that needs to be done around people understanding their history. It's part of the reason why I started this, uh, the 16 Greats Challenge, because there are many of us who, you know, have an aunt or an uncle who, you know, does family history and we know about it, but we really haven't paid much attention to it. We need to know their names. We need to know their stories. We need to know their interaction with the community. We need to know, you know, did they take land from someone? Was their land taken? You know, what, and people all love to say it doesn't have anything to do with race. It has absolutely everything to do with race because many of the policies, and the laws that govern our lives today evolve from racially unjust sentiments. People who were racist, the whole the white supremacist notion that there were some people who deserved more, who were human even, 
and you know what is it the the Dred Scott decision you know there are all kinds of points in along in our history that tell us that we were not human and we were not worthy of protection and so we've got to begin challenging that not just from the side of the people who were harmed by these laws but also the people who benefited from them because the reality is everyone was harmed by this and if you don't understand, you know, where the wound is, you, you, you can't begin healing. You can't begin healing. So what about, let's talk about the shame, the fear, the blame that some may feel about the harm their ancestors have done. Mm-hmm. I think it's, that's, I've talked to a couple of people that have either uncovered in their family history that there was racial injustice at some point, or that even their family um, enslaved people. You know, I've had a conversation with some people who descend from the family that enslaved my family. And so there's a lot of, um, I'll say this, the, the challenge becomes the miseducation. You know, mm-hmm. the, the structures and institutions in our country that have told people that there's no there there, that there's nothing to this, and, and have, have not only told us that slavery wasn't such a terrible institution, but then they tell us things like, oh, well, it's likely that you, you had a kind, you know, you're, you descend from a kind slave master. And so there's, of course, there's some shock. There's some pain. It's, it's horrible to understand this. Um, but, but your responsibility is to... Instead of turning to the shame and the defense, to really have some compassion for the people, the human beings who were in, who the harm was inflicted upon, and their descendants. And so, what I've been encouraging people to do is to um, share this information. And it's a difficult conversation because. There will be family members that don't want to talk about it on both sides, both enslaver and enslaved. There will be people who think that you are airing your family's dirty laundry. There are people who think, you know, oh, you know, don't, don't soil our name. But the reality of the situation is if we truly believe the truth will set us through, then we have to be willing to embrace the truth. We have to be willing to speak the truth, and we have to be willing to challenge power and structures with that truth. And so when you talk about challenge power and structure, let's let's look at it this way. If if you were to change the narrative in one way, mm-hmm. what would you say is the most important shift we can make? The most important shift we make is to move from a white facing conversation to a black-led conversation. And what I mean by that is the challenge that I have encountered in doing, you know, I started doing my family research back in 2016. There are all these changes coming to the community and there are all these conversations about, you know, not only technology, but people reaching out to each other. And the, the problem with that is as well-intentioned as it is, these conversations are built around white comfort. And so they're conversations that are being led by 
white voices and white perspectives. And we cannot allow these convert we cannot have these conversations and expect black people, people who descend from uh, the enslaved Africans to uncover this harm and then show up to this conversation with unintended harm happening in the present tense. And then there's a different power dynamic in that if I descend from an enslaver and I identify as white and I am in a place of privilege, then the idea of us coming together and sitting down, there's, a, there's an unequal power dynamic there in that you're here because you want to be, and I'm here because I can't get up from this. This, this they, We talk about coming together, gather to table in a circle or whatever. I can't get up from that circle. You know, you, you think about, and, and, I'm, and I'm leading it to current events, if the evolution had not been racially unjust, then people like Mike Brown and Breonna Taylor would have had the option to opt out of a racially unjust system. And so the reality of the situation is the, the, as long as these conversations begin centering white voices and white comfort, you are actually building a structure that will do intended and unintended harm to the black voices, to the people who descend from enslavers as they are even approaching the circle to sit down and talk with you. So let me let me see if I'm getting it right. So a group of individuals and discovered that their family enslaved others. And they make the decision to reach out to the descendants of those that were enslaved. Are you saying that because they are reaching out that it automatically puts the descendant of the enslaver in a different position because they're doing it with the white comfort thought process? Help me understand what you just said. Sure, sure. So, you know, it, there's an interesting conversation that's happening right now around the the descendants of enslavers and descendants of the enslaved coming together to share records and build relationships. And I don't discourage that. I think it's a wonderful idea around healing. I also think we need to understand the different levels of racial injustice. And so you, oftentimes these groups are dealing with an interpersonal level. You know, your relationship, my relationship with Bernice Bennett is great, and we can talk to each other and we can have conflict, and we've decided to come together and, and, and dis, not only uncover and discuss this and research this, but to grow in relationship with each other. But the reality of the situation is I'm only one person in my family tree. And so my relationship with you may not be your relationship with my uncle, with my grandfather, with my great-grandmother. And so structurally, we're talking about the power dynamic is different, which means when we come together, if you are the one that has descended from the enslaved and you have uncovered these records, then you have information that I need in order to know who I am and what happened to my family. 
And oftentimes there's a conversation around how I show up. And there is a mm-hmm. – I've noticed it's so interesting. I've asked this question in so many different places about when people are angry about what has happened to their ancestors. And there's so much conversation around healing that anger. And what I'm saying is we're putting the cart before the horse. It's like you sitting down with me and you know something terrible that happened to my ancestors. And what you're saying is, okay, I'm going to share this with you, but promise me you won't get mad. Uh-huh. Okay. And so it's, 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 it is, it is unnatural <laughs> to think that someone would come across this information and not have a full range of emotions in processing this. And so to say, if I get mad, if I offend you, if I upset you, you have the option to get up from this circle, take your documents with you, and walk away. And, you know, the, the difficult... <laughs> It, to being completely honest, even in the research, when I discovered my own records and I knew how to reach out to a family that had descended from the people who enslaved my ancestors, it took me a long time to even want to reach out to them like I, I, it, because I was processing a lot. And the conversation we had was wonderful. It was very helpful. Thank you so much, you know, telling me what they knew, you know, all of this. But the challenge becomes, in order for me to get information that I need, number one, I have to hope that you are willing to share it. I have to hope that I don't say anything to offend you. I have to hope that I don't scare you. I have to hope that, like, you see what I'm saying? It's just this continued harm. It's this continued me, you know, dancing on eggshells to get this information. And what I'm saying is my relationship with you as a person who's holding this information should not be the thing that determines whether or not I can have access to this information. So I would love to see us leave this from the centering of the people who descend from the Africans who were enslaved get the records out there, digitize them, allow people to access them without having to work on an interpersonal relationship so that we can choose to process our emotions in a way that, 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 that is meaningful for us so that we can choose how we engage. So the, the dynamic is not I must make friends with you in order to get this information. The dynamic is give up this information, let me do what I need to do with this. And if in the meantime we come together interpersonally to get along with each other and get to know each other, that's fantastic, but that should not be a requirement. But that should not be your goal. So what are some of the other things you think people should keep in mind when deciding what to do with documentation they've uncovered? And that could be on both sides for that matter. Absolutely. absolutely. And that, you know, the reality is any person who is doing uh, research of enslaved persons has to do research on the enslaver. Can't mm-hmm. do our family research without wading into this territory because oftentimes the information we needed 
is housed in their family documents. And so we oftentimes, I've heard of people showing up to have this conversation and the people who descend from the enslaver know way more about the family of the enslaved than the family of the enslaved do. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, if you have this information, regardless of what side you are on, make it public. Put it out there. You know, there are databases like, you know, Family Search and Ancestry and, you know, all these records databases where you can provide this information and it can be digitized and indexed, and people who want and are searching for this information can have access to it. So I, I, I am, you know, I am, I, as I'm wa- walking through this, I am looking for, you know, if somebody comes to me and says, I have some information, I don't know what to do with it, well, there ought to be a process. There should be systems. There should be organizations where I can say, you know, family, if family search is the place, then go to family search, and here's where you go, and here's where you upload this information, and here's where you let them know you have documents, and here's how you get it digitized. Like, I'm, I am looking for those places that people can go and say, here's the place you go. Um, and right. so I, I think that that's, you know, show me your policies, show me your documents, show me what you've got. And the more we, we air it, so to speak, the more we get it out in the open, the more we tell the truth, it's, it's going to be a messy process. We have, but it's a necessary process. Um, and one of the things I call, you know, I talk about the principled struggle in it, that, that is not just a, you know, term. That's actually a, um, a framework. There is a, a black feminist uh, and a left roots leader. Her name is Antonia Lee. And she created this framework called Principled Struggle. And it is the idea of we continue in a struggle for the sake of deepening our collective understanding. And her five pieces of this framework is, you know, number one, to be honest and direct by holding compassion. You know, get those records out there. Have compassion for the people who are looking for this information because you know, it may have been 200 years. You know, we started looking for our relatives even before slavery ended. So in 2021, if you uncover something, get it out there because chances are somebody has been looking for that information. Um, The second uh, uh, principle is to have side conversations and one-on-ones to help us get to better and build us up and not break us down. So Everything that we should do when we are interacting with each other should be to build us up and not break us down. So when I have something difficult to say to you, like just release the records, I may not be in a space to make friends with you right now. I may not be in a space to be kind to you right now because what I'm dealing with is a generational pain. Then you should, you know, work with that, deal with that. It's not just, it's not always about you. So to speak, mm-hmm. um, you know, being responsible for our own feelings and actions. I should not be concerned about your comfort. I should not be responsible, excuse me, for your comfort. I should not be responsible for your shame. I should not be responsible for your fear. But having fear and feeling shame, if you are owning that and you are putting it in a perspective of centering black voices, then it begins to shift into what can you do? You know, uh, decenter yourself <laughs> and, and put the people 
who need this information at the center of it. And it's a lot easier to deal with. I've talked to people who've been through this process. It's a lot easier to deal with it when you reframe in this perspective. Um, and then seeking in deeper understanding, asking questions, reading. There's a, so much information that we need to understand around the evolution of this harm um, to help people um, learn and grow. And so, you know, I would say to all of us, structurally, I have learned so much in the last five to ten years about structural racism and how it works and how it's been um, influencing the access that I have and the outcomes that I have and the choices that I see and, you know, what I have, what I don't have, what I see, how I see things. And so we have begin, we've got to begin educating ourselves. We've got to continue educating ourselves. Um, and then the uh, fifth one is considering that this meeting, this gathering, may not be the container to hold what you need to bring. So you may have feelings of guilt around what your ancestor did. Our interaction may not be that place for you to bring it. And, and so what I envision is particularly in the genealogy and the history, family history community, is this ecosystem where there are wonderful groups and organizations where there are individuals doing this work and people are taking um, ownership of a piece of this work that means something to them. Maybe you pick up the piece and create a place where, where people who descend from enslavers can deal with their guilt and shame. Maybe you're dealing with a piece where people can educate themselves. Maybe you are dealing with the technology around the, doing this research. You know, everybody has a role to play. And as we begin understanding that, the intention is to allow for the men and women, the families, the descendants of the people who were enslaved to understand where we, who we are and where we come from and the wholeness of our story. You know, our ancestors were not just enslaved. They were people. They were humans. They had dignity. They had honor, even in their marginalization, even in their torture, even in their oppression. And having access to that is where the healing begins, seeing why you know, my great-great-grandfather made choices that impacted my great-great-grand, my great-grandfather, which impacted my grandfather, which impacted my father, which impacted me. Like, you know, my great-great-grandmother impacted, you know, the, and so it's just this, this thread of choices and consequences and, and, and opportunities and harm and love and beauty. Like, it's the full range of the human emotion the full range of the human experience, and I want to see the full range of the dignity and humanity of these black lives being honored and being centered in the way that we do history and genealogy. Now, the output of that is once we begin centering these black lives and we begin understanding the evolution of this, it calls us into action. It calls us into undoing the harm. It calls us into seeing where 
we show up in this thread of 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 harm, where we show up in this thread of violence, and what is our responsibility, because we all have a role to play in, in undoing this harm. What is our responsibility? What is our role? Where is the work that we are doing to begin to create the space for black lives to heal, for the, for the country, for the institutions to begin dismantling the systems that have, and the policies and the procedures that have ensured that the legacy of this institution continues to show up in our lives today. And when you talk about this call to action and the fact that this whole topic was reframing narratives of and slaver research, this is a call to action to all the genealogists and the historians because one of the things you mentioned over and over again was the need to at least provide the documentation, get it out there. You know, you have Beyond Kin, you have Afrogenius and Our Black Ancestry and Augs, and, but you also have those companies that have access to information that could be of help to everyone else. And so you have really provided us with just a lot of food for thought, if you will, but also a direction, somewhere we need to go to bring about this this healing and also the reframing of what enslaver research really is all about. So, Adrian, do you have any parting words before we close out today? Um, yeah, I would. I I would. As I'm learning about these groups, I'm I am looking for the way that they are centering Black lives in the work that they are doing, and I encourage people to uh, look at the movement for Black Lives, look at racial justice, and how your organization is currently doing that work. Again, this is not past tense. This is present. Um, and, and, I'm, and I'm excited to be a part of this community. It's part of the reason why um, I'm so excited to be a member of OGS because that was the first genealogy community that I found where the black voices were truly being centered. Well, I want to thank you so much for joining me today. And for everyone else, remember your ancestors left footprints and reframing the narrative of enslaver research will help all of us, will help all of us grow, and will help all of us just understand what it means when we talk about racial justice. So thank you so much for tuning in today, and I look forward to all of you joining me next week. This is your host, Bernice Alexander Bennett. Thank you so much, Adrian Fikes. Goodbye, everyone. Thank you. Goodbye, Adrian. Thank you. Bye. Mm-hmm.